So, Caitlin. So, Bernadette. Uh, I see that you do a lot of stuff with uh, with gay themes. You're <laughs> pretty pretty vocal about loving women and thinking they're great mm-hmm. in romantic ways. Mm-hmm. Pretty common thread in my life. But I don't think that really means you ever were a lesbian. I think. But wait, look at all of this historical proof, well, though. What are the, about this context? <laughs> people take part in artistic traditions that they're not necessarily a part of, so I think you're just writing about it because you think it's, like, a fun aesthetic. But what about all these interpretations from other queer mm, women? Gosh, no, it looks like it looks like the people who are in charge... Oh, gosh, I don't think you're gay. I just... <laughs> Caitlin, I'm sorry I brought you here to tell you that despite having done all this art, uh, oh gosh, you're just not gay. Well, shit. Sorry. Uh, if only there was some kind of proof. <laughs> if only there was some kind of evidence. Some sort of some sort of body of work that points towards it exclusively. Gosh, if only. If, <laughs> God, we. I mean, there's just no way to tell. I think we'll have to conclude that you're straight. Is this like a reverse coming out to your family? Like, this is your family coming to you and being like, we regret to inform you. We you're regret stra- to inform you? Oh, gosh, it just looks like, it looks like you're straight. Sorry, everyone. I made a, a cake. It's flavorless and terrible. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, welcome to the me getting mad at... Uh, literary historians episode. We do this sometimes, but I feel like it's going to be a lot more intense in this episode as compared to other ones. so fucking many people are still beating this dead horse where they're just like, well, there's no way to know. She was probably straight. I... There's some rough ones. There's some rough takes. How many accounts from modern historians... A lot of them, like, fairly progressive, who treat all of these, not only do they treat Sappho as like, oh, she was probably just writing in this tradition. We're talking There's about no Sappho way to today, know. by the way. Yes. <laughs> There's no way to know if she had real relationships with women. She was probably just writing about them to be trendy. Um <laughs> All of these, not only that, but them treating women who hold her as, like, an important historical figure, or at least an important symbol, as, like, deluded or uh, uninformed, fuck off. <laughs> Sorry, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, well, I don't think Sappho was really queer, I invite you to turn off your audio playback device and go stick your head in a fucking bucket. <laughs> Sorry, I got so angry reading this because it's such like, it, it's like going back 50 years what you would have read about, well, Achilles wasn't really fucking Patroclus. He was just obsessed with him in every single way and talked about his body and, oh yeah, he wrote, like, there's writing about him boning him. Welcome to Stone Houses. And I'm Laura Rudinette Meeker, and I'm angry. <laughs> it's, it's so dumb. 
It's because... 11 p.m. and this is going to be a really good episode, folks. Strap in. Oh, yeah. Oh, Look, God. like, even if... I'm already even, crying. <laughs> even if she wrote all of this wonderful, passionate, erotic, and romantic poetry about <laughs> primarily women, which... Yes, maybe. I love so many of these are like, it might just be that only her lesbian quote-unquote poetry survived and she had a greater body of work that showed more of a male preference. Mm-hmm. Because that Even would have been the work that they would have targeted to erase had it been, had it been censorship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? <laughs> oh, don't, wanna, don't want word to get out of that, that notorious straight sappho. Even if all of that is true... That doesn't mean that someone can't be, like, an important historical figure or have, like, meaning to people who are part of a persecuted subculture. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was about to say, it's like the Babadook. <laughs> Is he a symbol of gay gays everywhere? Maybe. Oh, I had a conversation recently where I explained to my brother that Mothman is gay and also all cryptids are gay. (laughs) But, uh... Happy Pride. (laughs) Happy Pride. It's so... So much of the scholarship around around Sappho is a bunch of straight academics, like, clutching their pearls and, like, like, kind of just wiggling their shoulders, like, well... You know, I think that it's important that everyone knows that Sappho might not have been gay. So really, all of those people who hold her as an icon are really just misguided <laughs> and dumb. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm very angry. I know. We'll get we'll we'll loop back around to that. I feel like a majority of the episode will be that. Um, but we could probably start with a little bit about Sappho and what we know about her. Actually, we could do like an inverse etymology corner instead of what her name means, what words mean or come from her name. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's from, so we should start with a history of the person that we actually know. Mm-hmm. It should be said that Sappho lived, uh, I think, from 630-ish BC and maybe for another 30 to 60 years, people aren't that agreed. Mm-hmm. But in the centuries following her death, people did write stuff about her as if it was fact that directly contradicted one another. Mm-hmm. Made up a lot of shit. Thanks, Ovid. Oh, God, I'll talk about what <laughs> we'll Ovid to, wrote. We'll get to Ovid later. <laughs> uh, there's just not that much known about her, who her parents were. Uh, people... We didn't know that she was relatively high class. She talked. She about, had like, to have been to be like that. Yet... educated enough to read yes. and write and to have a career to come up with her own lyrical styles and like right? to, yeah like like we've talked I think we've talked about this with maybe not on the show but maybe with some of our friends like there have been like women in art in history who because they were wealthy they didn't have to do like they didn't have to worry about other things so they were able to pursue like art and stuff and that's where a lot of like a lot of very famous um women in art and creative things come from a place of privilege not all that's a very that's a very blank statement but um there are quite a few of them that you could pinpoint i think it would be fair to say most yeah uh, mm-hmm. because most quote unquote large civilizations and i'm putting that in big quotes 
are patriarchal, which means that women aren't considered a natural part of academia or uh, the humanities historically, which means that you have to have kind of an exception to the rule mm-hmm. to not have all your time eaten up in being a housekeeper and mother uh, or worker. And that means that Sappho was almost definitely one of them. That doesn't mean that she didn't have to get married. Maybe she was married, and we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> uh, and maybe she was married to a man, because that's how society glued itself together for thousands and thousands <laughs> of years. It's not, it, it is not in any way a judgment on anyone involved. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we also know that she has a couple of brothers. I think it's three. And right, she wrote kind of mentioned. Her mom? Well, she it was, in a poem she wrote yeah. about worrying about them. Yeah, it had kind of been like briefly mentioned, either like kind of touched on in some of her stuff, which we'll talk about. A lot of her stuff has been lost, but um, or in other people's biographies of her or people talking about her, but it wasn't fully a hundred percent confirmed until twenty fourteen. They found more Sappho poems yeah. fragments more fragments which is the coolest thing i was reading about it and watching some greek historians get really excited and it made me really excited about it um but they confirmed the brothers and their names yeah. so that in 2014 and that's so cool Aregius, uh uh Laricus and taraxis um most of which it seems like at least two of them were working on sailing ships mm-hmm. and she talked about uh uh, Laricus Laricus poured wine in the hall of uh, Mylene, which was mm. a big deal. Like, if you were pouring wine in that hall, you were probably higher class. I think it was something to they talked about. It was something to do with like usually like the the young boys from like, being like an the best boy, families. Yeah, like but it was like the best families or like high thought of or high to do whatever families uh their their sons could go and be wine. I suppose pourers. it would be like in a a handful of I wanna say East Asian cultures it's considered like a big deal for the woman of the house, like the highest ranked person is mm-hmm. the one pouring tea. It's a way of showing that you're welcome in a household and that you're respected. Yeah, yeah. It's less of servitude thing. But um, she was from the island of Lesbos, which is quite a deal closer to, like, Turkey than it is to Greece. Yeah. Um, and two people who wrote about her... Most of the things that are wrote about her come from at least a hundred years later, some much later, from the Athenian Greeks. Mm-hmm. And the reputation of Lesbos, Lesbos was of... <laughs> you know, reading these are so funny because <laughs> you have these about, in any time, in any culture, you have someone writing about like... And there's this foreign land where all of the women are so beautiful and very sexually liberated and they'll bone anyone and everything and they do all these weird things and they're so exotic and uh, they're all prostitutes, etc., etc. It's basically exoticism. Yeah. To the Greeks was Lesbos. Oh, Sappho's from Lesbos. She must be this 
dark beauty with <laughs> and, and even the phrase dark beauty has so many connotative things with it like the idea of yeah. like oh these foreign people who look different from us but they're sexy and uh and eroticized by us so it's it's written yeah. by people who had only the simplest concept of what these people's cultures were like. It's like people writing about uh, foreign cultures in a way that had little to no respect for complexities beyond what interested them in their home country. And this isn't to say that Lesbos was like so far that people didn't interact like she was exiled twice <laughs> yeah. to sicily uh <laughs> so they were like close enough away but it was still a lot of exoticism and that should always be kept in mind when you're reading writings by say ovid or anyone <laughs> ovid. else who is living in athens uh, more than a hundred years later is that they had some ideas that were probably not true yeah. Or at least exaggerated. I do want to say, I wanted to say this at the beginning of the episode, I totally forgot. This is this episode, very clearly, as you might have picked up at this point, is a little bit different than some of our ever, other episodes, because <laughs> Sappho was a real person. Uh, Sappho was a real woman who existed and lived, and we have her work, and normally we talk about fictional creatures or folklore or whatever, um, but we're uh, justifying it by, one, it's our show, and if we want to talk about <laughs> the patron mother of lesbians, we can. It's pride. Live it up. And two, there's a lot of fiction surrounding her that isn't quite, there's a lot of fabrication. Mm -hmm. You could argue that anything written about her a hundred years after she lived <laughs> was fiction exactly and that that fits under our tagline of fiction fable and folklore so it works we've shoehorned it in because uh, as you can see by our topic art we're very passionate about and love Sappho very much i would argue that 80 percent of the quote-unquote established writing about Sappho from like five from like 450 bce to 1990 is made up as fuck. <laughs> like, it's mostly... <sighs> it's mostly, like, parody or... Um, Filling it's in like your own blanks. The or, equivalent yeah. of the movie Shakespeare in Love <laughs> to the reality of who Shakespeare might have been. Yeah. Like, maybe he was sexy and had his shirt open all the time and had short hair and was played... I was gonna say, and was played by an extremely handsome person and uh, had a romantic rival who looked like Han Firth, but probably not, right? So, so yeah, just keep that in mind. Yeah, we're gonna be sifting through a lot of things, and uh, like we'll mention a bunch of times, not a lot about her has been lost. A lot of her mm -hmm. works have been lost, which is so sad. So some things might be speculation, but some things are just like people have their own very strong opinions that now, by now, we should know are wrong. Mm. <laughs> that Sappho loved women and it was, you know, whatever, but we'll, well, we'll be mad about it I guess it we later. might as well talk about what we know for sure. Yes. Yeah. What is true. Mm -hmm. She wrote a lot of poetry at least thousands people think lines. thousands of lines, maybe as many as 10,000. Yeah. Of those lines, only about 650 survived. This is. Makes me so sad. Yeah. Ugh. But a lot of her stuff was re meant to be accompanied by music. Yeah. So when people refer to her as a 
uh, singer later. That's why, is that mm-hmm. they were lyric poetry. Yeah, they called um, her, she was, so if you think of, uh, like, Homer was called the poet, like, capital T, capital P, the poet. Sappho was called the poetess, like, she was up there, she's on that level. Uh, and so she's, it's important to remember, she was a really, really vital part of, of poetry and literature and art in this time and forward. She did a lot, a lot of stuff, and it was highly revered at the time um and for just how blunt and how how many feelings she invoked it's great she's so good I want, we'll probably read a couple of her poems i just love it i think she's so absolutely fun. <laughs> yeah she was revered in her time and very much after but um more of what we actually know for sure is that she lived at some point mm-hmm. she was from uh Mytilene on Lesbos, probably around 630 BC or BCE, depending on uh, which tradition of history we're talking about. We think that her mother may have been uh, Cleus, but that's not sure. Yeah. We know that she probably had three brothers who we talked about, and we know that she probably died somewhere in the next 60 years. Mm -hmm. Now, that's things that we actually know. A lot of her work is either preserved by people copying it down, mm-hmm. uh, and we actually have very physical evidence of the way in which her poems have been altered in, say, the last 200 years uh, and much earlier by people with pronounced um, moralizing opinions about homosexuality. Yeah. Or about sexuality in general. Yeah. Now, let's talk for a second about the Greeks as a whole. The Greeks were, I think sometimes people, when they talk about the Greeks and they talk about homosexuality, they think that it must, that uh, that Athenian culture must have been more egalitarian. And we should say that it wasn't. Like, the Persians were probably more egalitarian than the Athenians they fought. The Persians were patriarchal. But the difference is, to our modern society, is that homosexual relationships between men, at the very least, were a vital part of society. Um, You might hear about the idea of armies of lovers, the idea of uh, assembling platoons full of pairs of male lovers or groups, the idea that you would fight better if you were fighting alongside someone you cared about keeping alive. It's a kind of a camaraderie (laughs) to people in other Western traditions following that idea took on like some element of perversion that just isn't there. Like you have to understand going back that there is no, there is no perverted or wrong element to this. It was, a, a way things were done. It was a kind of love as equal to or erotic as, like, the devotion between a man and a wife, if not, like, more valued on a level of equals. Uh, there's so much stuff in the next thousand years that adds overtones of morality to something that would have been completely normal. Mm-hmm. And that's worth remembering. Also worth remembering that women 
uh, regardless of the general stance on homosexual relationships between men, women did not occupy an equal place in society in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it was often said that Spartan women, who had a comparatively militaristic culture, at least enjoyed some degree of freedom, uh, but women in Athens were mostly kept indoors if they were wealthy and worked if they weren't. And so in the mythologizing of Sappho, much was made of her great poetry, which everyone agreed was very good, but also a lot was made of her quote-unquote headstrong nature. And, <laughs> you know, it's that yeah. element of like, ah, oh, she is an independent woman who don't need no man. It's like, hey, maybe the narrative you're touting is irrelevant to this person's life mm -hmm. um and also a lot of was made of her quote-unquote divergent sexuality um she was often called a whore she was mm -hmm. often called a prostitute um in many versions she was implied to either be a sex worker which is <laughs> again fine a profession that is as old as the stones yeah. Uh, she was either implied to be a sex worker or somehow perverted. So even though, she, even though this thing was like quote unquote normal between men, uh, her sexuality was seen as wrong or yeah. somehow eroticized beyond just like love. It mm -hmm. wasn't. It had an element of perversion to it, and by that I mean there were people moralizing, saying, like, ugh, gross. <laughs> so, knowing all of that, uh, and then going back to Athens, what people wrote about her, and people wrote her as the main character in plays, like yeah, um, yeah. my Shakespeare in love metaphor, if you will, <laughs> and made up a whole lot of shit <laughs> about her. Yep. Uh, Ovid, Ovid, another one of our favorite, Ovid, writer of the Metamorphoses, and a bunch of stuff, is we, one of our- We mentioned Ovid, we mentioned uh, Ovid in Werewolves, I think? Yeah, he wrote yeah. about, uh, about the first werewolf. Now, Ovid is one of our quote-unquote historians. Um, <laughs> if, looking forward, you can see kind of a reflection of Ovid in, oh, what's his name? There was this Italian guy who wrote The Lives of Painters whose name... Vasari? The point is that it's someone who half made stuff up and half <laughs> wrote stuff, you know, because yeah. it was... Just made some real shit up, because he was also writing poetry. Yeah. And, again, not really a historian in the evidence-based... Um, sense just sense. as a, a kind of a historical novelist yeah yeah i don't know the point is that is uh that the idea that his writing on sappho is considered as good as fact is <laughs> bonkers so ovid uh insisted by the way uh sappho's father has been given more than 10 names uh, yeah, from the ancient yeah. quote-unquote testimonia. Basically, he, she never wrote about him. There's no first 
Well, There's if she no... did write about him, the, it's gone. We don't have oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's true. All we have are fragments. Essentially, when we talk about the 650 lines that still exist, some of them are single words. These fragments, like, one of them, I think, was, like, it's just, like, things... Hold on, let me see. I have, I have a lift list here. Let me find one that's... Oh, God, what was it? There's one that's just, like, wedding gifts. Uh, oh, this yeah. one, this one says Eros, giver of pain, and like that's the whole frag. Like that's all we have. This one I really love because it's just very intense. You set me on fire. Like they're all very. A lot of them are just these emotional fragments. But some of some of her found work is were just a handful of words, and that's all yeah, that's left the, of that parchment. The only primary sources we have are things that she wrote, things that uh, Alcaeus of Mytilene, who was a contemporary, wrote about her or included her. Like, those are the only things yeah. that are real information. And, like, what people talked about her, like, Yeah, like, afterwards. people writing about her. Yeah, as a history, but then kind of at a certain point she kind of fell out of, like, the limelight. Because I think there was something with, like, she kind of wrote in a sort of older, like, kind of how we would think of, like, old English is a little awkward to read. She wrote Mm -hmm. in something that was just slightly older than what was kind of normal for the time. And so as, like, the poetry aged, it became less, you know, easy to consume and accessible. And so it wasn't, like, impossible to read, but it kind of fell out of favor for a little while and so then around the like i think it was around then people stopped writing about her but up until that point people like she while she was alive she was revered so people were talking about her for a long time so we have those sources but even at a certain point we have lost a lot of that and we've lost a lot of her writing and and you know and then at at a certain point people start making stuff up cough cough ovid like you know we'll (laughs) like that's just how history kind of moved at that point in time so that's why we get all this weird backwards stuff. <laughs> Just always consider when you're reading histories of people who lived a very long time ago, the further you get from the time they were actually alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the less helpful the source probably <laughs> is. Uh, Ovid wrote a lot of stuff, but we should say that the most common name for her father uh, out of the many was uh, Ascamandronimus. Mm-hmm. Fun, funky um, name. And then a lot of people made up a whole lot about her. There, so uh, there was said to be, she was said to be lovers of specific people, including Alcaeus, the poet who mm-hmm. worked at the same time of her. Maybe there's truth to that. Who knows? They uh, did have they did have some sort of relationship because they swapped yeah. they swapped things all the time. I like I think there's one one painting. Again, I don't know what time period that was from. I would have to go back and look, but it's her watching him perform. Like, So, like, we know they had some sort of relationship as, like, he references her. I believe she references him. So, like, they had something, but we don't know to the extent of what it was. But people get very much into, like, they were clearly lovers. <laughs> like, okay, Obviously. calm down. <laughs> hey, these two ancient people were once in the same place at the same time. I think they fucked. They obviously boned. It's so much of listening to these people talk. Anyway, um, we should say for the amount of credibility, credulity, you should take some of these accounts with. Suda, a Byzantine encyclopedia, which was considered, you know, fact for its time, mm. uh, quotes her as being married to Carchylus Kerk- of Andros, which is... Especially good if you realize that Carchylus means so prick, good. and Andros means 
Isle of Man. So it's a joke name, basically. It's, so, oh my god, what the, I think it said... Oh, Dick it? It Alcock was, from the Isle of Man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's very. Also, on one hand, that would be an absolutely phenomenal real person name. But on the other hand, I love that it's possibly a fake made up joke that someone wrote because she very like if she very obviously wasn't into men at all. Like maybe she was bi. We don't know. But like, like if she was not into men at all, and so she like at one point was made up this fake like lover for her who was named Dick mm. Alcock from the Isle of Man. That's hysterical. I love. I love it. Uh. So. A lot of things that are said as truth about her come from plays or comedies directly, like, making stuff up. Like so many comedies. Oh, my God. They loved her in comedies. They really did. Because she's kind of, like, sexy, sometimes comedic, sometimes, like, very vampy, sometimes incredibly, like, over-the-top, like, look at this funny woman. (laughs) She has thoughts and feelings, and she's always yelling about them. There are at least six separate Athenian comedies, at least six, just titled Sappho, and others that she's in. Like, it's, they were so, just, like, they love to stick her in stuff like that. I can't, like, it's so funny. Just put her in everything. And, like, she was famous at the time as a poet. Yeah, yeah. Just after the fact... People had just took it and ran. So a common myth about her death, and I'm not saying that it's completely impossible, but it should say, it's like not from a credulous source, Menander, who again is a fiction poet and playwright, uh, wrote that she killed herself by jumping off the Lucadian cliffs after a ferryman rejected her, a.k.a. She killed herself over a dude, which, what a, what a poetic end, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of, so a lot of things that were written about Sappho that are kind of cr- crummy in the thousand years following her death come from a, not necessarily, but have the effect of conflating her possible romantic liaisons with women with general sluttiness. Yeah. Which... I would like to say that we on this podcast have no moral judgment about sluttiness. Go live your life. Uh, We do have an issue with people condemning other people's personal activities. Sit the fuck down. (laughs) Yes. And saying, oh, she had sexual relations with women. I bet that just means she was generally licentious. Like, making uh, moral judgments about it is so annoying, and so much of it is people writing and making up crap about her. Which, like, sure, yeah, maybe she was bi. I mean, she was probably at least bi. She probably was not straight. Yeah. Let's, I don't really get why this is an argument I have to make about Sappho. Yeah. But uh, people wrote a lot about her. And we should talk about why she is such an important poet. Like, not just from the perspective of being a lesbian icon or being a gay icon, but from the perspective of literary tradition. She invented the Western romantic poem. Yes. You know how, like, a lot of love poems, it's like, I saw her or him from across the like whatever like i mm-hmm. feel this i feel the burning rage of a thousand whatever i don't read a lot of poetry but like that 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 first person 
heavily emotional. That's what a lot of people think of as poetry. Like, if you're not, like, I mean, I know, I'm sorry, actual people who know things about poetry, but from layman's terms, if you think of poetry, probably one of the first things that comes into your mind is this heavily emotional, personal, I, first person about love, kind of. And that's, you, that comes from Sappho. It's if you're good. just getting into it from, like, a fundamental, like, your Pablo Neruda's, your Petrarch's, your your Shakespeare's talking about, like, talking about my love is like this thing or I feel this way. Mm-hmm. No one wrote that way before Sappho. Everyone yeah. wrote epic poems and descriptive poems and like or the, the things gods from third gave person. Me this story to tell. Like, it was all divine. A lot of it was divine based and, and not like personal. Sappho did write like religious, but it was so profoundly personal and first person romantic kind of in a way thing. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much I can emphasize that if you've ever enjoyed for thou art more lovely and more temperate or whatever or anything that came after that <laughs> none of it ever would have happened without Sappho writing yes. passionately and in a lot of cases really frankly and honestly in ways that a lot of people didn't use language I really like this quote about her work it says Sappho's poetry is known for its clear language and simple thoughts, sharply drawn images, and use of direct quotation, which brings a sense of immediacy. It was all very, like, up front and out there. Like, there wasn't, like, I don't know, there was, there's some, like, floaty language and whatever, but it's very direct. Like, you very much understand what she's talking about. Yeah, and a lot of the writing about Sappho's poetry and why it was so important came at the same time that she was alive. Like, she yes. was famous because of the way she wrote. Like, people, they statues of her and printed her <laughs> face on coins. And she was famous before she got turned into a character, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. She had did, like, performances. Like we mentioned earlier, a lot of her stuff was written to be... Uh, put to be performed with music she played is a liar lear what is it liar liar a liar yeah and uh she would do performances to i think at some some point i saw that a lot of her work felt meant for small groups of friends and lovers and stuff like that but she also did like smaller things like people heard her work people knew her she was both the beatles and just (laughs) everything else I would argue that a lot of modern music would not be possible without her. I mean, yeah. Or at least would be delayed in some aspect because every, like, I almost started singing the jukebox that goes song that makes fun of uh, this kind of song, but every, like, romantic song comes from a tradition of lyrical poetry that comes from Sappho. Comes directly, directly traces back to Sappho. Even if your interest in Sappho is in disproving her value as a homosexual icon, (laughs) which, I mean, is a pretty wild thing to spend your time on. Like, (laughs) get a hobby. But you cannot ignore how important she is as a romantic poet and yes. writer yes uh so i think we should read at least at least one of her poems do you want to do it i i will yeah all of uh, most of her fragments can be found on the gutenberg thank you gutenberg we love you so thank very you, much gutenberg. um uh, well, i don't even think we mentioned so we talked about a lot of her work has been lost there is only one complete poem 
that still exists from her, which is just heartbreaking. But one, like one out of everything, just 650 lines of poetry and only one of that one complete poem. <sighs> God, makes me so sad. So Poems of Sappho, this one is translated by Julia Dubnoff. And this is Immortal Aphrodite, which gets quoted a lot, and I, I feel like some people might have some familiarity with some of these lines. So it goes, Immortal Aphrodite, on your intricately brocaded throne, child of Zeus, weaver of wiles, this I pray. Dear lady, don't crush my heart with pains and sorrows, but come here if ever before, when you heard my far-off cry, you listened and you came, leaving your father's house, yoking your chariot of gold, then beautiful swift sparrows led you over the black earth, from the sky through the middle air, whirling their wings into a blur. Rapidly they came, and you, O oh blessed goddess, a smile on your immortal face, asked what had happened this time, why did I call again, and what did I especially desire for myself and my frenzied heart? Who this time am I to persuade to your love, Sappho, who is doing you wrong? For even if she flees, soon she shall pursue, and if she refuses gifts, soon she shall give them. If she doesn't love you, soon she shall love, even if she's unwilling. Come to me now once again and release me from grueling anxiety, all that my heart longs for. Fulfill and be yourself my ally in love's battle. Some say an army of horsemen, some of foot soldiers, some of ships, is the fairest thing on the black earth, but I say it is what one loves. It's very easy to make this clear to everyone for Helen, by far surpassing mortals in beauty, left the best of all husbands, and sailed to Troy, mindful of neither her child nor her dear parents, but with one glimpse she was seduced by Aphrodite, for easily bent and nimbly, and there's text missing here, which is sad, has reminded me now of Anactoria, who is not here. I would much prefer to see the lovely way she walks, the radiant glance of her face, than the war chariots of the Lydians, or their foot soldiers in arms. The man to me seems equal to the gods, the man who sits opposite you, and close by listens to your sweet voice and your enticing laughter that indeed has stirred up the heart in my breast. For whatever I look at you, even briefly, I can no longer say a single thing, but my tongue is frozen in silence. Instantly a delicate flame runs beneath my skin. With my eyes I see nothing. My ears make a whirring noise. A cold sweat covers me. Trembling seizes my body, and I am greener than grass. Lacking but little of death do I seem. And that is... Aphrodite, which I love a, t- a ton and I always laugh there's so much debate around this especially that line about or the, the couple of verses about her being jealous of seeing a, a woman with some man she's jealous of the man and people are always like but is she is this really from her perspective could she be writing from the perspective of, of a, a male character in this situation and it makes me laugh and I saw someone did uh, an analysis of it where they're like mm, no, because the line that talks about being green with envy, the I am, I am greener than grass, in the original Greek, the way that the, I don't remember which word, but there is part of the, uh, some word, the way that it's conjugated indicates that a female speaker is the uh, point of view. So take that. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing, and favorite, I'm being incredibly sarcastic about <laughs> all of these things, is how people who are insisting, you know, insisting, like, actually this is straight, or insisting X, Y, Z about things, are also people who, like, refuse to use they, them pronouns, even though (laughs) it's been, like, baked into English language for 300 years. Yes. 
It's uh, always ready to shift those goalposts. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. I made myself sad. Yeah. But a beautiful poem. And yeah. the... What is it? The Saper Wharf effect of, like, having the vocabulary to describe things makes them true. The idea of, like, going cold all over oh, and God, so shivery good. and... Those just... last... Ugh, those last stanzas, I think, are so good that just like the jealousy the way she describes jealousy is so good and it's so my tongue is frozen in silence a delicate flames run runs beneath my skin with my eyes i see nothing my ears make a whirring noise like like just that's just being angry with jealousy that some girl you fancy is with some other dude like i like all of the little details she's so good at with with the the way she describes things and it's very intense Oh, it's man. good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of the reason I get sad reading about Sappho, and I mean, obviously, I'm sad that we've lost so many of her works because she mm-hmm. was such a remarkable poet. Everyone says so, but one of the main threads in a lot of this academia seems mostly to be performed with the <laughs> intention of. Uh, invalidating the feelings and opinions of lesbian women. Yeah. Which... (sighs) Common theme. We see it a lot. Hell is pretty annoying, but Mm -hmm. gosh, Sappho, you're good at writing. You are. We get kind of into a lot of people speculating about the loss of her works and that maybe Mm -hmm. it was a mass censorship, um... Uh, there were some Christian censors in in certain times in Alexandria and Rome and Constantinople, where they condemned her and uh, I believe things. some some uh, Saint Gregory of Nazianus and Pope Gregory the seventh. I can read Roman numerals. Ordered her works to be burned. It was kind there were of... also quote unquote um, chivalrous rewriters who would cut out things that quote-unquote might be misunderstood by modern readers aka any reference to lesbianism yeah it's really kind of nasty and sadly it's not that surprising yeah which is kind of depressing that we can say that like this stuff happens all the time and it's in any case if you're ever wondering like hmm do you think the works of this you know queer person this person of color this do you think they were uh were estranged by accident the answer is probably no mm-hmm. and yes sometimes i mean time and distance does so much but like it can be both yeah one quote i did find that actually made me have a like laugh out loud so hard like cuz it's it's just extremely funny there was one um, I, I believe a scholar or some of some sort or someone who studied her work, Glenn Most, who basically a denier of her sexuality <laughs> and kind of one of those what good friends kind of things. He writes, he comments that, quote, <laughs> one wonders what language Sappho would have used to describe her feelings if they had been ones of sexual excitement. <laughs> gal pals! <laughs> the Just most a intense gal pals. The most intense gal paling. 
Uh, what good friends they were. Like, no. No. No, man. I actually recently, um, I this is only slightly related, I saw a thing on Facebook, an article that someone shared. Did you know that we had a queer first lady? Hmm? Yeah. So part of the American whatever government thing, I don't know if this is still a thing, but if a president was unmarried or lost his wife or something, someone in the immediate family, a woman in the immediate family, would be a stand-in as the first lady. Oh, yeah, that's like an ancient thing. Yeah, I don't know if that's a thing that still exists now, but like... Because it's basically a diplomatic position. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Grover Cleveland took office in 1885, and his sister came in as his first lady, and her name was Rose, and she had a a lesbian lover who they had <gasps> letter correspondence back and forth for decades. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. It was Evangeline Simpson Whipple and uh, Rose Cleveland, and they uh, met in the late 1800s, 1890s-ish, after uh, her brother left office. They exchanged letters for years and years and years and it's they're very like you can read these there's a book that just came out and i think that's why i saw this article and they're very you are mine and i am yours we are one our lives are one henceforth please Aww. god like who can separate us like it's 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 really it's actually some of these letters are very touching they, they only were buried next to each other yeah they only have um one half of the letters but in some of her letters she quotes letters from evangeline and at one point, Evangeline gets married to a man. Rose is so distraught. And eventually her <sighs> husband dies. And they end up uh, living together the rest of their days together in, in uh, I believe, Italy? Some, some length oh like that. Gosh. But I read this whole thing. It made me very emotional today. Um, in Tuscany, that's where they landed up. But there's you can look it up. Uh, if you just look up Gay First Lady, it's one of the first things that comes up. There's a book coming out. The book is, or is already out. Oh, reverse. I had it wrong. They didn't have Rose's papers. They had Evangeline's papers. Oh, okay. Papers. Yeah. It's unfortunate how much of women's history just becomes like, mm, someone's probably making it up. They're just being dramatic. Yeah. You know how femmes are. Yeah. But yeah, oh, one, this is so sweet. It's really, really cute. And they have, they're publishing a bunch of the letters and it's, really lovely and i would i kind of want to get a copy of it it's very sweet but like like a lot of a lot of historical texts and documents and stuff like this reveal you know stuff that people again will misconstrue as like friendship intense friendship instead of what it was but like that's where a lot of our sources come from and when these things come up i i watched a, a greek historian who kind of i don't know if she specialized in sappho or just had a had a soft spot for sappho but she appeared on a show and and um read some of the new poems that came out in 2014 in the original uh greek and she talks about how like a lot of the discovering a lot of they find these fragments like in the desert buried in the sand wow. they found f- there was one piece that was like made into cardboard basically <laughs> that sounds about right <laughs> but one like they find them when they unwrap mummies they find parchment wrapped in of poetry like that they use to wrap mummies like that's so cool that like these fragments we're just going to keep finding them a lot of them are in just like heaps of maybe just like trash in <laughs> like this is historical garbage and we haven't gone through it yet and so it's kind of cool thinking that at some point we're going to find more pieces of of Sappho's story and 
we're gonna get to know more about her and stuff and i think that's really cool and i that look forward is so to that cool and i'm really i really enjoy her and i kind of want to get a like a book of her fragments and stuff like you can read them all online but there's just something about having a book mm-hmm. i like it a lot oh man what a cool lady yeah I actually, I think, I kind of feel like we're probably winding down a little bit here. I yeah. had literally right before we started recording, I was talking on Twitter with some people who were talking to me about Sappho, and someone sent me the, this is from uh, Tallulah, thank you Tallulah, sent me the most beautiful comic, The I'm, I'm going to read the text to you, so this is by Autistic-Usagi on Tumblr, um, and we'll retweet this to the Stonehouse's accounts you can see, but I want to read the text to you because it made me very emotional and I feel like it's just very good in all respects. So it's a, an individual in like their room praying to Sappho, basically. And it says, Oh, Sappho, I love women and non-binary people so much, but I am so ugly. Implore your aid. I implore your aid. And Sappho says, What do you love of them? What in them do you find beautiful? And the person says, the wisp of their hair at the backs of their necks, the glow of their skin, the slopes of their foreheads, of their jaw, the way they look when unselfconscious, the shapes of their arms, form, their wrists, their biceps, their backs, their shoulders, the way that light lays upon their faces, the grace of their hands, and most of all, I love their smile. And she's cut off and Sappho says, but child, can you not find this beauty in yourself? When did you come to think of your body as something morbid? When did you start to believe it was your fault? And it was this, someone did a five-page comic about pride, and it's uh, kind of, I don't Aww. know, seeing the beauty you see in other people and yourself. And I thought it was very sweet and it made me very misty-eyed, like, literally minutes before we started recording. But uh, I will retweet it to Stonehouses because uh, it's very pretty, and it's a for pride, comic for pride, and I think that it was very lovely. Thank you for sharing that with me, Tallulah. That is some good content. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Thank you to Autistic Usagi on Tumblr for making it, because it's very, very pretty. Thank you. But yeah, I don't necessarily, we don't really have <laughs> D&D Corner or Pop Culture Corner for this I think one. our corner should just be, make everything gayer. Make everything gayer. And embrace gayness where it exists. Mm-hmm. Stop that gal pals bullshit. Stop it. <laughs> Let queer women be queer, and that's important. And that's, that's that. <laughs> don't mind me i'm just gonna hang out with my <laughs> sorry i couldn't even make a joke because i was just like, i was just like yeah all of that stuff's really dumb that's yeah, pretty good <sighs> but yeah, i can't you. wait to go to your wedding and uh enjoying everyone being like oh, they're such good friends they're such good friends <laughs> It's so cute that they decided to hold this wedding to celebrate their friendship. Their gosh, wow! Their the platonic friendship. Their platonic friendship is their <laughs> just oh, two man. people who are never naked in front of each other for any reason. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Stonehouses. Um, our next episode is a mystery. Um, a beautiful mystery. Beautiful mystery. We're not having an episode on June 30th because we are going to make an attempt to prep a small backlog of maybe tiny episodes to queue up or like a multi-part in tiny chunks to queue up while I'm gone because I'll be gone all of July. That may or may not happen depending on my ability to get my own shit done, but we'll keep you posted. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't... I. It would make me 
like sick to my stomach to miss a whole month, but we will we'll try our best. Kaylin um, demurs, <laughs> but she's very, very busy and also does all of the editing on this show. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. If we do end up taking a hiatus, we will definitely be back. We will, yes. I just need to do... I need to be on so many planes, and then we can come back and keep recording. But we'll try, um, if there is time, to put something something small and silly out for at maybe every other week in July or something to that effect. We'll see. We'll figure it out, and we'll let you know what we're able to do. But if this is our last episode for a while, thanks for listening. We appreciate you very much, and we will see you back again in August if we can't do anything in July. So yeah next episode perhaps the first week of july also perhaps the second week in august and <laughs> we'll just figure that out when we get there yeah um, speaking of august uh bernadette and i are going to gen con Woo! Uh, you can if you see us meandering around please feel free to stop and say hi we'd love to love to chat and say hello and thank you for listening to this weird show <laughs> Um, as I, I talked about this last week, that cool thing that I'm working on just got announced. Uh, Kirsten Vangsness is running a Kickstarter to take two of her plays to Edinburgh, uh, Fringe Festival later this year. And as part of certain reward tiers for supporting the show, uh, travel expenses, I got hired to help, uh, take part of the play Cleo, Theo, and Woo and adapt it into a comic. So if you want to support- Hey, go support uh, that. Yeah, go support that and get a comic in return. Uh, you can check out Theater of Note on Kickstarter. And I believe at the $35 tier is when my rewards start kicking in. 35 and higher, I think. You'd have to That's like a- nothing. Go do it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you're, the show is really awesome. Um, I've been able to... I've got the script and I'm going to go... Gonna go make that into a comic, but if you hey, if you liked uh, if you like powerful women and women supporting women, which has been basically this entire episode, you yeah, you should check this check this play out. It's it's very cool. Um, let's see, what else do we have? We have a coffee. Uh, if you have a couple of dollars you'd like to throw at us to support our show, you can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash stone houses cast. If you liked what you heard, please share our show with a friend. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, talking about us, uh, boosting us on social media, uh, just tweeting out something stupid that we said that you thought was funny and tagging us might encourage someone to check out our show. And we really yeah. appreciate that. And we appreciate people who do that. Uh, you can check us out at Stonehouses Cast on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Stonehouses Cast. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you get early sneak peeks at the topic. Uh, and the topic art comes out a few days earlier on Twitter than it does on other sites. And sometimes we do polls and you get other bonus things. Uh, so you should check that out and follow us there. Uh, thank you. Woo! Woo! Thank you to those of you who have been tweeting or posting about us, uh, promoting us, sharing us with others. We appreciate you so much, so much, so much, so much. Uh, this week's shoutouts go to Possibility, Robert, uh, Tallulah for sharing the comment with me. Thank you very much. Uh, and I also just want to say that <laughs> thank you to just shout out and thank you to all the people who hang out in the Stonehouses channel of the Discord that some people made for my streaming stuff. Y'all always make me laugh. Oh, and yeah. You post, Go like, watch Kaylin's streams. She's <laughs> cute and funny and oh, good thanks. at things. I'm going to be not streaming for like the next <laughs> the next oh, month well, and a half, but we'll let you know when that's back. But I yeah, I do streaming things if you want to follow me on Twitch. K-A-M-A-B-R. It's usually art, but I have been doing it. We did a game stream mostly successfully with very bad audio. Tech hates me a lot, but we're working on it. So, 
yeah, I stream and there's a Discord for that and there's a Stone Houses channel in that Discord and everyone who posts in there brings me so much delight and joy. Thank you for being uh, active in the community. Uh, you too can post about us and tag us at StonehousesCast or using hashtag StonehousesCast so we can see it and appreciate you and love women together. Yay! This has been Stonehouses, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Laura Burnett Meeker. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Bye! Happy Pride! We Happy love you! Happy Pride! We love you.